You're listening to Bottom Shelf Bitcoin. This is episode 34. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Bottom Shelf Bitcoin, the podcast that puts Bitcoin knowledge within everyone's reach. As always, I'm your host, Josh Humphrey, and uh, today my guest is Clark Moody, which is pretty cool. You were the uh, the first person I ever interviewed on this show, so I thought for 10 years that'd be appropriate that uh, I get you back on. I'm glad to be back. So, uh, let's see. Also, we are you're the only person I've ever had live actual in-person uh recording with so this is fun um so 10 years now well if you guys haven't listened to i don't know what episode that was like 10 or 11 i don't know i'll put it in the show notes uh we're not going to rehash your origin story we've done that before on the show so go back and listen to that episode um but currently you are working at picks and shovels and then you also have um your uh, exchange tracker and your street price indicators. So uh, again, I'll put links to those in the show notes. Y'all go check those out. Um, but yeah, so 10 years. What's, uh, what's, <laughs> it seems crazy. 10 years. What, it, what, it what, what are your like uh, favorite stories or, or fondest memories over the last 10 years? Well, the, I've only been in Bitcoin since 2011. So it's more like, okay seven seven ish coming up on eight, eight years for me but uh i think i don't know the the best thing about the space is just it's probably the memes it's probably the the sense of humor and the um uh just the creativity out there you know this is serious stuff but the amount the the, the dynamicism and the memes and the GIFs and everything are just out of control. Uh, and that's probably the most fun part about it. You know, what we're trying to do with the Bitcoin space is uh, detach money from the state, which is a very, very serious undertaking. And to see humor added to it along the way is just uh, fantastic. I also love um, uh, what Nick Carter did with the FUD dice. Yeah. Since literally the second the second reply to satoshi or the second thread on the original uh cryptography mailing list was about the energy usage of proof of work and it's just it goes all the way back to the beginning all the threads every every time there's naysayers about bitcoin it's always it doesn't scale it's too volatile it's energy inefficient what happens when the block reward stops all of the arguments you've heard a million times have been there from the beginning yeah and so it's become you know our job as kind of this this uh core group of of supporters is just to continually fight the good fight dispel fud my co-founder dan held has been doing a great job with that in some of his articles out there and tweet storms um dispelling fud uh and others in the space of course and so you know where we where we are now is this there's enough people looking at bitcoin that these uh 
these de- these detractors you know need need to be addressed in order to kind of push past the next level of adoption perhaps so i don't know so okay which which uh brand of food or which side of the dice is like particularly triggering for you well i don't know the mo- the most triggered i got <clears throat> probably in the past year was some guy tweeted that society society doesn't owe you a stable store of value or something to that effect and that triggered me so hard about society owing the individual something which is just so wrong um and just the idea that like you have no choice but to have your energy stolen away from you through inflation because you owe it to society or, or society hasn't granted you this privilege to some extent. It's just, it's so backwards and wrong. I mean, think about it. Just, it makes sense to like a two-year-old, you get one more block, you put the blocks in your, you know, toy chest and you expect tomorrow that both blocks are going to be in your toy chest. Yet we, we forget these just basics of human decency and, and common sense with this uh, grown up, financial system we we find ourselves in and then you have all of the um the court economists and the apologists in in the mainstream media and academia uh towing the line for the state as far as inflation goes and so you have this thing called bitcoin that comes along and there's nothing you can do you can't you can't point a gun at bitcoin and tell it to inflate its money supply past the mathematical curve built in uh and I think that's very, very troubling for a lot of postmodern type people because it's this it's this source of truth outside of their control and it defies their reality. Yeah. And there's nothing they can do. So, you know, tough, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that kind of mindset is used to being able to uh, either whine or protest or whatever enough to force somebody to, to do their bidding. And there are three there are three main attacks that I see coming for Bitcoin. The first is of course the energy usage. So you'll have you'll have governments imposing all sorts of restrictions on mining because it wastes energy, which is false. Um, and and the environmental uh, sentiment is a very very popular uh, political political rhetoric right now. If you can pinch uh, pitch anything in terms of environmentalism, then you can get popular support for it. So I think I think attacking mining on on environmental grounds is probably the first uh major political attack against bitcoin the second would be um wealth inequality so it's just unfair that all of you people were you know early in on bitcoin and it's unfair that you got it before everyone else and so we need to forcibly redistribute the bitcoin even though, I mean, look, we're at the hopefully the bottom of a bear market. It's lasted about a year. Uh, this is late 2018. And there have been multiple drawdowns like this before where a lot of people got washed out. And yeah. so a lot of longtime holders bailed out uh, and sold. And so you can't you can't say with a straight face that, oh, if I had bought Bitcoin back in, you know, 2011, that you would still have anywhere near the amount that you bought no you you might have sold the first time it went 10x or the second time it went 10x 
or the third time it went to right, Nick's. Right, right. Yeah, I, 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 I remember. I don't know. Was it was it last summer, twenty seventeen? I guess it's hard. It's hard because I feel like this whole space moves at such a breakneck speed, and like development, and and like you said, like memes, and and it moves on Twitter. So it's it's easy to forget how long ago things were. Um, and I came to you because I was really. I guess this would have been shortly before the hard fork before I really like forced myself to go back and, and actually learn all this stuff. And so I looked at the price and I, <laughs> I said, what's going on? It just keeps going up. And I really, I really wanted to sell, but then at the same time, like it just kept going up and I was like, mm, maybe not. <laughs> so yeah. I think, I think the third attack will come from the inflationists who as Bitcoin starts to gain much more mainstream adoption, they'll say, uh Oh, uh, this doesn't allow us to inflate the money supply. There are major problems. We need to force a hard fork to add permanent inflation. You know, 3% a year or some sort of exponential money supply growth. And uh, the inflationists have been at their game since, you know, the 1700s. They've tried all sorts of inflationary schemes. Uh, France in the 1700s and John Law and all these guys. They always... They always break. They always enrich the insiders and hurt the mass of the public. And that's just the way it's supposed to work. Uh, but again, Bitcoin relies on distributed consensus. There's no center. There's no center issuer of the, of the money. And so there's no one to squeeze. And so separating from money from state is the core thing here. And it's why the system is so uh, complex. Um, but I think there's hope, uh, you know, as long as enough people that are running the Bitcoin software agree uh, that it should say the way it is, then it will. Um, I know my my node will not go to any sort of inflationary fork um, and we can hard fork our difficulty down if we need to, uh, but it's opt-in it's opt money and no one can force you to change uh, without, you know, coming coming to your house, right? Right, so. and they would have to come to every person's house. It right. just yeah, the, the, the asymmetry of, of what it would cost to carry out such an attack. Um, you know, I think this is what frustrates me is is the, like you said earlier, like the people who are crying about this unfair advantage and, and yada yada, like the current system with inflation is what's unfair. Or, or I, I say fair, let's not use fair because fair is... Like, I'm not looking for an equal distribution. I don't think that's ever going to happen. I don't think it needs to happen. But um, uh, keeping people from being able to advance where they're at is what the current system does. And that's Bitcoin is the opposite of that. And so, like, stopping inflation and uh, having a predictable pattern of growth gives that opportunity. And so, the people who would most benefit from that are the people who have been dealt a quote-unquote unfair hand by the current system. That's what, that's what I want people to get, but it's so hard and frustrating sometimes to to make people understand that. Yeah. And I didn't, I didn't really necessarily mean to lead off negative in this conversation, but uh, you know, Bitcoin is an adversarial system and you have to think about attack vectors for this thing to survive. I think a lot of the other, uh, you know, crypto projects out there are very optimistic and really not thinking about any sort of adversarial uh, setup. Uh, one thing that 2018 really brought uh, to the table is sort of the 
uh, the content creators and the intellectual bulwark um, and framework needed uh, to sell Bitcoin um, on more intellectual grounds, not just technical grounds. Um, you started a podcast, uh, which is a shining beacon of hope uh, within the podcasting realm. Uh, no, but, but others, shout out Noted, shout out Marty Bent, shout out uh, Peter McCormick. You know, you guys are doing great stuff uh, with your content that's that's going out. Um, shout out Bitcoin Markets. Ansel's been on this yeah. podcast. Um, Stephen Levera. Yep. And so just all these guys are putting out high quality content with lots of interesting people and really providing uh, intellectual ammunition uh, for this movement. I'm still looking forward to the manifesto from Bitcoin sign guy. Uh, yeah, yeah. Whenever that, uh, whenever that comes out, uh, I'll be, I'll be eating that up. Um, we had uh, the Bitcoin standard from safety. Bitcoin standard. Which is really good. Uh, the, have you read the iterative capital? These, it's like so long. I've had that open in a tab for like three months. And... Crypt economy. Oh, that's another one. Crypt economy. Mm. He reads it. It's like mm. nine episodes, of, <laughs> but I just finished it. So that's a really good piece too. Yeah, I think I think uh, what I'll say about the Bitcoin standard is uh, we have the ethics of money production from Guido Holtzman, mm. which was a 2008 book, I, and it's much more academic and and less uh, opinionated than the Bitcoin standard, I feel like we need one more iteration of a synthesis of those two books. Uh, a, a shorter piece that that refines what's in the ethics of money production in terms of Bitcoin. Um, and I'm, I'm still working my way through that one. Uh, it's much, much more technical um, and you might say palatable to a wider audience. Uh, you know, Safedine's going to trigger a lot of people with the... Yeah. With his book, uh, which is fine, and, and a lot of Bitcoiners love it, you know, if you're already on the same team. Uh, but we may need we may need one more iteration of some sort of uh, book length treatment of Bitcoin uh, that comes at a much more, uh, say, measured measured approach and less opinionated. Um, but you know that'll that'll come, and and all of these things, all of these things are great additions to the space, uh, providing this intellectual. Uh, bulwark really against against the FUD and against the naysayers, but also convincing people that this is uh, good stuff. Have you have you read Hasu's Bitcoin I don't remember what it's called, it's like approaching Bitcoin from as a skeptic or something like that? I haven't yet. It's on the list. Not, I have not either. Okay. So you you mentioned the uh, the memes. What are your some of your some of your favorites? Uh I love the Saving Private Ryan meme Ugh. when the Jim uh, Jim BTC Jim BTC You're awesome. shout out Jim, uh, the bat you know the the ICO bag is the flamethrower <laughs> that explodes and like little bits of ETH like shower all yeah, over yeah, yeah, yeah. Tom Hanks, um, it's just you know it's out of control. I love the the uh, the trading memes, you know the Bitcoin. Uh, pizza day meme or the gif where the guy wants to place an order on pizza and it's little bitmex order order not accepted little red <laughs> box popping up uh the okay coin wood chipper that the side the side of the trading platform opens and just dumps everyone's orders into a wood chipper and uh you know i don't know i don't know i like the idea of noobs getting wrecked trading is 
is kind of a schadenfreude type thing where it's like yes they're losing lots of money but it's also a rite of passage yeah uh, you have to get wrecked if you trade bitcoin uh, the market has to take you through the path of maximum pain before it emerges out the backside uh, you know with another order of magnitude uh, improvement in price so it you know just it'll teach it turns traders into hodlers yeah uh, long term when you you know you've been you've been around as long as I have in the space and the you know the first day I looked at Bitcoin it was one dollar and so so you know all of the headlines about Bitcoin off, 85% from its highs or whatever it's like it's still you know where are we at 3500 around today something like that it's 3500 times the price that I first saw it I mean it's just and then people before me saw it at, at you know half of a penny was like the first trade for Bitcoin so it's like that's another 200 uh, X um, so it, it's just perspective just perspective and the the more you pay attention to CNBC and things like that, the more you're going to get wrecked. You're going to get scared, or you're going to get greedy. Um, but you, you know, if you're thinking about if you're thinking about investing in this thing, uh, take the long view. Just look look back at where it's been, and ignore the day to day CNBC garbage. Ignore all the altcoins. Um, we've seen waves of altcoins come and go. There have been multiple phases of this thing. Uh, you know, I've still got some uh, some prime coin, <laughs> pump my bags, uh, some pure coin from back in the day, and those things are worth nothing now. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of the ICOs we've seen are down ninety nine and a half percent, so they need a huge gain to come back. We've seen that uh, forks don't work. Yeah, um, Litecoin has uh, flippened the. Bitcoin Cash forks. Uh, they are now below Litecoin on the market cap, or at least they were last time I saw a little screen cap. So um, we've seen lots of things that don't work. Yeah. And I think I, over time, more and more people just come around. It's like Bitcoin, you know, Bitcoin keeps trucking along. Other networks are getting 51% attacked and having huge price crashes that are almost irrecoverable. Um, Bitcoin's been down 90% before. But never, never more than 90, 90 to ninety-five percent. Like ninety-nine and a half percent is you need like a two thousand X or something to come back, or something like that. So, what's your, what's your thought on the fifty-one uh, percent attacks? Like, good, bad? I think I think good actors in the space should actively fifty-one percent attack all chains uh, to teach the exchanges a lesson a lesson about listing a bunch of garbage chains. Um, I think it'd be you know this is a distributed consensus system. Uh, just because you have one confirmation doesn't really mean much, uh, especially if you you know if you have fast block times. You need to look at total work added to that chain. It's that layers of amber. It's that stack of stones. Uh, if the pyramids in Egypt were three feet tall, they wouldn't be there. Right. They're a giant, huge billion tons of rock stacked on top of something to keep it there through the ages, and so. Uh, six, confirm six confirmations on Bitcoin with 10 minute blocks is an hour worth of work added to the system. Uh, six confirmations on some chain with one minute blocks with, you know, one millionth the hash rate of Bitcoin or one millionth the energy expenditure. That's not much. That's not much uh, security at all. And so 
I think the exchanges need to learn a lesson about listing these chains. I think we need good citizen uh, miners to attack these chains actively all the time. Um, and to, to, so the exchanges start losing money on listing garbage. Uh, and I think that's the best way to flush out bad technology and bad chains out of the space. Of course, there's also the, I mean, well, specifically with SHA-256 chains like SV or ABC, now that there's, that's an opportunity cost for them. They're losing the ability to, the time that, and effort and energy that they're putting into attacking those other chains is is a potential profit lost on Bitcoin. So That's right. And, and the only reason people mine those chains, well, so part of the reason you see hash rate leave Bitcoin to go mine the, the forks is because they're more profitable in the near term with price with price action. Uh, but large and deep reorgs will teach, you know, you lose way more money with a huge reorg than you would with the little bit you would gain off of, a, you know, a couple blocks. So um, I'd love to see a big spectacular, you know, 300 block reorg on SV or something. I know that ABC stuck in a checkpoint, which centralizes it even further. And, and they're, they've been accordingly punished in the market. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the, the actors in this space, I mean, the best the best lesson is to lose massive amounts of money uh, and be punished for bad behavior by the market. Right. Uh, so I think both both the uh, the promoters of these chains and the exchanges listing these chains should be punished uh, for bad behavior. Uh, and the most effective way is to lose lose lots of money. Who, who would you say are good actors from a... Um, you know, like these big companies, exchanges kind of level, like uh, we could spend time talking about bad actors, but, but who are good actors in your opinion? Um, I don't know. I don't know about, so exchanges are really kind of mercenaries. Sure. Um, they just want to list stuff that people will trade. I think that the bad actors have revealed themselves through the whole segment to to X fiasco and the good actors mainly stayed silent. Um, other, there's all sorts of companies building sweet technology for the Bitcoin tech stack itself. Uh, recently, Casa's making a lot of noise with their node. Uh, Samurai Wallet, of course. Um, just just tr- chugging along with amazing innovation all the time Yeah, for on-chain privacy. I'm uh, really looking forward to their uh, Dojo node coming out so you can self-host your Samurai backend. Um, Blockstream just launched their satellite, like global coverage on the satellite and an API so you can push data through the satellites, which is crazy. Yeah, that's, um, that's the cool new. They don't own the satellites, but one more one more Bitcoin bull market and we'll have companies launching satellites themselves. Right. We'll get the infrastructure there. Uh, you know, Bitcoin 100,000, Bitcoin 150,000 would really allow a lot of these companies to put some put some really solid infrastructure down or up in space, as it were. Um, any anybody else out there who's doing who's doing just good work? You know, the Optech newsletter on just like upgrade your nodes, check this out on how to batch. Here's a great article on. Uh, you know, UTXO management, like all this stuff, just allowing companies to improve their infrastructure around Bitcoin, and then the companies that are actually building the tech and and sponsoring core devs uh, to build tech. 
everybody in the lightning space is just going crazy. Like the mailing list is completely out of control with all sorts of crazy stuff happening on lightning. And I, you know, that's a gateway in for, um, developers big time because lightning has much, much less, uh, cognitive overhead to deal with than the main chain. Um, a lightning payment is done and it's done and the protocol handles the rest. A Bitcoin payment is eventual consensus. Uh, and you need proof of work and you need time. So um, anybody in the Lightning space uh, is doing great work right now. Uh, just building UX, building apps. Um, you know, we've seen, we've seen a lot of uh, deplatforming of, uh, yeah. of controversial, you know, quote unquote controversial, which means politically incorrect voices out there. Um, and so hopefully we'll see we have uh, uh, what's the patreon alternative oh goodness one sec tallycoin tallycoin I think that's it I haven't actually looked at tallycoin oh but I think it's a patreon alternative right a crowd uh, yeah 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 it's, it's crowd so crowdfunding it's I've got one set up but I haven't looked at it in a while I think he's put out several updates since the last time I went in and messed with it so Right. I was that was kind of during that month that I was uh, face down in a in a book trying to get school finished for the semester. <laughs> yeah. So if you have Tallycoin out there, if you have potentially self-hosted Patreon alternatives um, that enable Lightning, that you know people have talked about Lightning subscriptions, like you you create five or ten invoices at a time, and then your your app prompts you to pay them every month. Um, just replicate the, the the functionality of Patreon, which is you know, gated content for subscribers, um, private RSS feeds that every time your podcaster pings that RSS feed, then server checks that if you're still subscribed. And if you are, then it sends you the latest content. All, all you need is just to chop us dollars out of Patreon, make it self-hosted. So it's not censorable. You could offer a WordPress model where you've got, um, you can pay for hosting, but, uh, just get people get people off of the the fiat money system, which is centrally controlled and um, subject to political whims. Uh, you've got Gab out there championing Bitcoin. Um, I don't know if they're doing Lightning or what you know what they're doing with Bitcoin, but uh, they're pushing it to millions and millions of users who are already exiles yeah. from the political correctness of the of the mainstream system. Here's my here's my beef with Gab. And, and maybe they just missed things that I was seeing. I, I don't want to beat up on them too much because I do appreciate what they're doing. It was frustrating. Well, let me say it that way. It was frustrating for me to watch them get deplatformed and then continue like repeatedly to go to centralized payment systems. And I just was like, I, and I feel like in the comments, people were saying like, use BTC pay server, use whatever, like use Bitcoin. And I think they're for Bitcoin. So like, like I said, I don't want to beat up on them too much, but it was frustrating frustrating for me to watch them repeatedly go through this process. But I don't know, maybe that was good because we could see all these different... Maybe maybe in the long run it was, it was good because we can see all these different services that, yeah, like eventually they will boot you if they don't like you. So I don't and, know, maybe, yeah. maybe it was good for, for them to go through that process. Yeah, well, what we, you know, the, the, the lesson from Gabble will show other... Uh, other services and the users what uncensorable money actually means. Um, 
money that's not subject to political whims. Yeah. Uh, and so um, it was Gab, you know, Gab had to fumble in the dark for who knows how long uh, to finally come around to, to really liking the idea of Bitcoin. Uh, we'll see if it works for them. Um, but now they've just shown the light for other people to follow. Yeah. So they, they're blazing the trail here. But and I'm sure I'm sure people, you know, when Gab was first announced, I don't know, was it two years ago or something? I'm sure people were like, hey, you should use Bitcoin for this. And like, yeah, whatever, you know. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's taken this pain for them to finally come around and realize what, in, you know, what censorship in your money is and what it means. So. Yeah. I think it'll be I think it'll be good in the long run. Oh, I, I do too in the long run. It just like I said in in the short term it was frustrating for me to watch them go through that and I was just banging my head against the wall like a move immediately to the decentralized right acceptance. But, you know what? They they're they're on it now, so uh good on Gab. Um I think I think churches should start accepting Bitcoin. Like I think politically that's potentially where we're headed especially like state to state you're, you're going to get issues where um, local and state authorities try to um, shut down church practices we saw that a couple years ago in Houston the, the, the mayor of Houston tried to subpoena um, pastors who were speaking out against homosexuality right and, uh, and, and my understanding is that anybody who had like there's sermon notes and things like that stored on Google Drive. Google just like handed them over. Right. Uh, and then, and actually Microsoft was the one, surprisingly, who said, you know, you, you can't do that. You, you're going to need like some proper legal frameworks if you want this information. We have this thing called due process. Right. <laughs> no, Europe, Europe and uh, Canada have hate speech laws. And I could see those being applied if they aren't already uh, to churches. Um, then of course you just have you know elsewhere in the world when you have state religion of course you need uh, when when when, a, when say a Christian church is illegal you know in in some other country then of course you need uncensorable money there to help fund that effort so yeah yeah for sure um, and and we definitely need a, a broader cultural shift around privacy yeah, hundred percent agree. People, people say if I don't have anything to hide, if you're not doing anything wrong, I'm not doing anything wrong. I don't have anything to hide. Right. Um, is is so backwards, really, from the attitude and mindset of the American people for the first hundred years of the republic. Uh, it's it's incredible what a century of statism will do to the yeah. culture of the people. Do you do you close the bathroom door? Do you lock your house up at night? <laughs> like that's that's how we should be viewing this. Like it's not it's not that you have anything necessarily bad, but it's about controlling who has that information. Yep. And it's funny, you know, a lot of public school kids have to read 1984, but you know, just like every other thing you're forced to read in school, you don't ever actually care about it or like it because you're forced to do it. So. Um, one of my favorite uh, MAGA hats is "Make Orwell Fiction Again." Yeah, uh, it's probably uh, that's that's probably there's also "Make Bitcoin Great Again," but you know that's I don't think that's as as uh, pithy. Yeah, yeah, that's a little on the nose. Yeah. Um, 
1984, man. The the scary. I didn't read it in high school. I read it after college, actually. I think I think it just took me a while to get around to it. And uh, I think the scariest thing for me is uh, in the version that I read. There there's an appendix at the end, or an epilogue maybe, and it's talking about how they would shift the words that were able to be used. You know. They, they would cut words out of the dictionary for the next edition and, and, and refine so it was very difficult to transfer ideas because you didn't have words for them. And like, that, that's, ugh, it's so true when I look around, it's just if scary. You, if you're getting in a political debate out there, uh, define words before you even start. Because one person says racism, let's say, and another person has a different definition of that word. Right. And you need to agree on the definition of that word before you can even call somebody a racist or determine if something is racist or not. Likewise with, you know, fairness and equality and all these things, liberty, freedom. A lot of people equate freedom, you know, I think maybe Woodrow Wilson started this. Um, history buffs, correct me if I'm wrong, but the progressive era kicked off the idea that freedom means freedom, you know, freedom in your means to do what you want. Uh, as far as if you don't have health care paid for by somebody and you get sick, then you're not free to pursue your your goals. Therefore, having health care is part of freedom, mm. uh, which is, you know, they're not using the word liberty, thankfully. Um, and even the word liberal has been twisted over the, right, over sure. the last century and a half uh, to be very much not about individual liberty. <laughs> like it used to be in in the days of uh, John Locke, let's say. So, yeah, watch watch your words. Watch watch that the words you're using actually mean what the other person thinks they mean, or you're you're not going to get anything done in any sort of uh, political discussion at come, all. Come to a shelling point on what you hey. believe those words mean. There you go. Yeah. Um. All right. So. What are you, I, we kind of touched on this, but like, what are you most excited for in the near term? Let's say one to one to three years. I think, I think, <clears throat> so we're at, uh, we're at, you know, somewhat of a bottom in the bear market uh, coming off of late 2017, early 2018 highs. And if history repeats itself, this is the time when it takes, you know, 18 months for the price to slowly, slowly inch back up, which means that nobody's looking at the price. And <clears throat> that's the time that people are building infrastructure. Um, and so when the next wave of interest comes into Bitcoin, there will be another order of magnitude of infrastructure available to absorb that wave. Mm. I think lightning is the primary example of this, uh, especially with all of the um, the proposals in the in the Bitcoin protocol about different signature schemes, uh, version two scripts, um, with all the different graft roots and tap roots and the, all sorts of stuff there, um, that will enable enhanced uh, layer two, let en- enable enhanced layer one privacy, but also enable enhanced layer two flexibility. So that, um, say, when you withdraw from an exchange, uh, you buy you buy a little Bitcoin. As you're withdrawing it to your wallet, that same transaction opens a lightning channel. Um, or maybe there's lightning channel factories that can splice in and splice out different channels and things. Um, 
So just gaining gaining main chain efficiency and also uh, UX improvements over opening channels, and then chan- you know Lightning Network gives you um, pretty much the same experience as any other digital payment system. It's near instantaneous. <clears throat> uh, you're fully settled. You know, so that that really is what got a lot of people into Bitcoin in the first place was this instant global payment thing. Um, and that was fine with empty blocks and low fees. Yeah. <clears throat> so uh, Lightning really restores that initial uh, wow factor for Bitcoin. And then the main chain continues to be a long-term store of value settlement layer. Um, we talk about you know, this protocol stack. Uh, and, you know, developing that infrastructure is what is what I'm most excited about because it'll be able to absorb the next wave, hopefully without some crazy fee spike. And looking at you, exchanges, <laughs> exchanges need to get their get their uh, house in order as far as being the on ramp for people into this space. Um, I don't know if I'm excited or not about any sort of uh, atomic swap or cross-chain stuff. Um, I don't see I don't see other chains being uh, being useful long-term uh, in in the so- silver and gold sense. Um, uh, you know, history history shows that money is a winner-take-all technology. Uh, Silver, you know, silver, gold, you know, copper have, have played their role over time, but and, and maybe the error always comes in when, when the state mandates a fixed exchange rate, uh, fixed, you know, yeah, ten ounces of silver to one ounce of gold, whatever it is, um, that that defies market logic, and so you have you have uh, imbalances there, and and maybe if those are free to float, then things are fine, but uh, we have the we have the Bitcoin test net, we have the liquid side chain that's been launched, that's that's doing some cool stuff uh which probably has better security properties than most of the ico projects out there um you do you do face trade-offs with the side chain but i'd like to see more people try side chains as an alternative to uh uh completely new chains or just centralized stuff on top of ethereum or whatever um but you know three years Three, three years, yeah. like who who can predict that far? Like in three year cycles, we've had the Bitcoin only cycle, then the altcoin cycle, then the uh, the Ethereum kind of cycle led into the ICO cycle, maybe. And then we saw some forks, and people were like, "It's fork season! Everybody's going to fork for their new project." And that didn't happen. And we've seen that forks are a disaster, uh, which is good. Um, maybe it'll be the side chain cycle next. Um, who knows? But if that's the case, then that's another bullish case for Bitcoin because you're not going to build a side chain on, you know, Doge or whatever. Uh, you're going to build a side chain on Bitcoin, um, and that 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 just brings more value into Bitcoin and just enhances the the uh, value of the main chain. Um, so, and of course, within the next three years, hopefully, uh, Picks and Shovels Company will be taking off real big and. Uh, you know, for for us at picks and shovels, servicing, you know, hedge funds and and uh, institutional allocators, uh, fund administrators, things like that, um, so that if institutional money comes into the space, 
we're building the tools that will help them uh, make heads and tails of the accounting side of things. Uh, you say if, but I think it's happening. I, right, yes, yes. There's, there's I, a lot I of institutions out there. I think they're just being quiet about it right now. I think. Right. Or, or at least, uh, you know, the, the people who maybe like the heads of these companies or, or important people in these companies are getting into it personally and seeing what a headache it is. Which is good for you guys because you solve the headache, right? And what these what what these guys do is they will do one transaction in Bitcoin out of their you know three billion dollar portfolio. They'll do you know thirty thousand dollars in Bitcoin and then sit on it and learn about it. And then two years later, they'll be like, "We've been doing Bitcoin transactions for two years. You know, we're thought leaders in the space," um, which is technically true. Uh, you know, one of the one of the other big developments that hopefully will happen is uh, some central bank comes out and says we hold Bitcoin as part of our reserves, uh, because I think that has a domino effect, um, and and uh, you know, to the uh, ministers of finance who are listening to this program in uh, developing economies. Go ahead and add some Bitcoin at these cheap prices to your reserves, um, uh, because you know once once one country does it, one central yeah. bank does it, then uh, that's a that's a stampede event, and it could be it could be completely out of control at that point. Right. Uh, as far as in, because because once central bank says we've got it, then large institutional allocators will say, well, if it's good enough for a central bank, it's good for us. And then other central banks will also get it, um, which kind of could have massive effects on the price um, and also the, the credibility of the system. Um, so we have, we have potentially that to looking for, look forward to in the next three years. Um, if I were a central bank, I would wait as long as possible so I could accumulate as much as possible before announcing. Yeah. Uh, to you know, to to basically front run the the market that's going to happen. Um. So. Yeah. Do you think the there will get to be a point? I mean, arguably, you could say that North Korea is doing this already, but like that there will be um, nationalized mining facilities. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, I see mining as a strategic, uh, a strategic position. Yeah. Uh, so that as you as you rely on Bitcoin, you also uh, can ensure that your transactions can't be censored by other nations, right? Or you know, nation nation level actors, um, and you can do that with with not too much of the hash rate, but also if the hash rate is is widely distributed among nation state actors, then um, the chance for collusion is low. Uh, uh, because governments don't really like to work together uh, that closely, right? And so they're they're in a continual state of adversarial relationship, uh, which fits itself perfectly for, to the mining game. Because uh, mining mining is a zero sum game, um, and so you know, a lot a lot of states think in zero sum terms, even though economics is not a zero sum game. Uh, trade is not a zero sum game. But a lot of them like to think of it that way. Yeah. Um, this isn't specifically about mining, but but 
when you're talking about running running your own node and things like that earlier and, and not being censored um, uh, going through that iterative capital piece um, they didn't say it in these terms but then when they were talking about um, proof of stake versus proof of work and it got me thinking like um, you know with proof of work and running your own node you have just as much say regardless of how much Bitcoin you own and so to, to enforce the rules um, and I just had this picture in my head. It was very cool. Like somebody with one Satoshi has just as much say as somebody with 10 or a hundred thousand Bitcoins. Right. Yeah. It's the rules that matter and not the, not the sum that matters. So, you know, a proof of stake system where you stake the actual coin. Um, how is that, how is that too much different than, you know, the bank oligopoly we have now? Right. You know, the big banks have way more say than little banks. Um, and the Fed has the ultimate say over the system, you know, so a hierarchical system is what we have now, and that's what we're trying to escape from. Okay, well, let's, let's move uh, uh, on from that. Let's, let's look out to the future. Let's look out to the distant future. You had a recent article that came out um, about, about Bitcoin in space. And, uh, well, first of all, you... You kind of mentioned grad school the last time I had you on, but I don't know how much you went into detail. You were you were in uh, aerospace engineering program. Can you talk a little bit about the the project you're working on? Briefly, I mean, you don't have to go into huge details, but I just think it's cool. Yeah, so we did a ton of different stuff. I was in grad school uh, probably a little too long. Um, got my master's in aerospace and then uh, almost got a PhD. And over the course of that time, we worked on um, orbital mechanics stuff, spacecraft, you know, attitude determination and control, which is how, you know, you, say you have the Hubble telescope, it needs to point at a star in the distance very, very accurately for a long period of time. Um, and that's control control system stuff and attitude, attitude determination to know exactly where it's pointing in the first place. Um, we did low-level robot control you know space robot control and tested it down at nasa johnson space center um and that was super fun uh so uh so i've got a little bit of the orbital mechanics background um and you don't have to go to grad school for that you just need to play kerbal space program (laughs) and kerbal kerbal space program gives you all the appreciation you need for orbital mechanics um, and also for understanding, you know, how, how this stuff would work, uh, in the future. Okay. So, okay. So then, but your article then kind of goes into what it might look like, uh, as, as humans kind of breach that, that interplanetary frontier and move out into space. Like how do we deal with Bitcoin in that sense when you've got much bigger time delays and things like that? Like how do, how would we address that? Right. So the thing about money is that money is the is the uh, the the uh, glue that's keeping keeping any sort of market economy together and any sort of space settlement will need money. And it would be nice for them to have sound money, because if you, you know, a space colony is going to need all the help it can get. Uh, you know, thinking about it a little further, like how this would actually happen. I mean, the economics of it are very, very stacked against any sort of self-sustaining space colony. It's just so expensive to get stuff into space. 
and there once you get there there's like nothing there you know like the whole universe outside of the earth is like designed to kill humans you know so <laughs> it's really hard um but assuming we can get past that that you know that startup uh you know, say Elon Musk figures it out or whatever. There's enough people going to Mars on a one-way trip. Um, then you need money. And <clears throat> I think Bitcoin should be that money because it's the soundest money we've got. Um, and when you start talking about space, you start talking about the speed of light. So the first issue is the time delay uh, with money. Um if you're using Bitcoin, uh, time delay basically kills mining outside of the Earth-Moon system. Uh, it takes you know, two and a half seconds for light to reach the moon, or thereabouts, maybe three seconds. Um, and <clears throat> three seconds is not too much latency to add to a mining operation. Okay, I want to interrupt you for a second. Do you yeah. think we should colonize the moon? I think the market should decide. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I think if it I think if it makes sense to be on the moon, we should do it. I, so here's the thing about the moon: uh, if you can mine material and process material on the surface of the moon, like lithium and magnesium, sort of like lightweight spacecraft metals, and launch them to orbital shipyards in lunar orbit and build ships in lunar orbit, then you can launch them from lunar orbit to the rest of the solar system with much, much, much less energy requirement yeah, than going yeah, from the surface to, of the earth yeah, you don't have to break earth's gravity to get there yeah uh i've heard it said that low earth orbit is halfway to anywhere in the solar system huh. uh, it takes you know 9600 kilometers of kilometers per second of delta v to get out of earth's gravity well and into low earth orbit and that much more delta v gets you pretty much anywhere else uh so so the the moon is an amazing staging point for interplanetary exploration or even you know sending stuff back to earth like mine out on the moon send it back to earth if if, if there's some sort of material on the moon that's much much more abundant than on the earth and, and the, the economics work out um you know like i think we should settle the moon not necessarily colonize the moon okay uh there is a case to be made for a space telescope in the craters at the poles hmm. there are pole there are craters at the poles of the moon that are in perpetual shadow which would be a really, really, really nice place for a telescope. Um, it could only point at part of the sky, but in no sunlight at all. Yeah. And there's no atmosphere on the moon to scatter sunlight into the telescope, so it'd be fantastic. Uh, so I, the moon, do, the, the moon does make sense um, economically for certain things. Okay, we can go back now if you want to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, no, the speed of light. So. So you've got latency built in. Anywhere you go into space, you have latency relative to being on Earth. Uh, though the speed of light in fiber, uh, optical fiber, is slower than the speed of radio going through space. So there's the potential that you could have faster block propagation bouncing to a low Earth orbit satellite and around the world than you could through the optical fiber network on the planet. Potentially. Uh and if you can stomach three seconds of latency or something, you could have mining all the way out at the moon. Now, getting the energy production capabilities and the chip manufacturing capabilities out there to actually do mining is dubious. Uh, you can't mine on Mars. So Mars is like uh, 24 minutes away. And so it's like 
48-minute round trip in the worst case, that'd be like mining four or five blocks deep at all times. Yeah. So you can, you of... can simulate mining on Mars now. Just say, I'm going to mine on the fourth block in the chain rather than the latest block. <laughs> yeah. Miners out there know that that's pretty much suicide. Yeah, you're never going to catch up. Uh, and the dominant planet will dominate the chain because of this time delay thing. So even if Mars had 30% of the hash rate, it would probably get 0% of the blocks simply due to the time delay. That's not to say you can't use Bitcoin on Mars, uh, even the main chain. You just have to wait a little while to settle to the main chain. Still faster than settling to your uh, you know, bank, yeah. you know, business days, uh, but... You just add you just add four confirmations to the round trip time or something, and you've got uh, four blocks to your to your confirmation level, and you've got confirmed transactions on Mars. The nice thing also, I mentioned Lightning Network, and we'll get to that in a second. Lightning has a lot of back and forth uh, chatter when you're when you're making transactions. Bitcoin you can broadcast. You can do one way. It's push right. It's like yeah. I'm pushing this money to a different address. Boom. And you can fire and forget, and you just monitor the blockchain to make sure it went through. Uh, so, so you can settle to the main chain, and you can do that anywhere in the solar system. You just need to get uh, your transaction back to the blockchain, and then get the blockchain back to you. Uh, so, currently, in interplanetary uh, communication data rates are not awesome. There's some pretty, you, you know, the Mars stuff gets pretty high data rates back to Earth, uh, I think in the multiple megabits per second range. Um, but, you know, n- you know, adding adding a ton of calm and things will, will necessitate uh, communication startups. So, you know, uh, start building space antennas, guys, because you need them in a couple hundred years to, to have a nice uh, relay business. Blockstream's got a... I think Blockstream's got a plan to go out there. If you've read the book Fire Upon the Deep. We've had this conversation. By Werner, by Werner Vinge, there's a planet called Relay, and they have this giant orbital arrays that do hyperwave transmissions of, of uh, data around the, the edge of the galaxy. So it's already been written about in the 80s. Just go build it. <laughs> well, like, they have their, their logo. If you look at it, it looks like... Like the view from the back, where when you when they when you eject the the stage, mm. yeah. Somebody somebody mentioned that anyway. All right, go on. Sorry. <clears throat> yeah. So main chain works just fine. You don't have to mine. You do need nodes, and you probably need multiple multiple nodes on Mars. Let's say with independent data paths back to Earth, uh, so that the controller of the satellite dish or the the big communications dish can't block uh, the signal from coming in uh, you have another you have another way of getting the data back to Mars so you can monitor the blockchain um, once you've got on-chain transactions done and you've waited for those then you can use lightning network in full form locally and this is huge this is why lightning's awesome because you don't have to go back to the chain so you're making Bitcoin transactions instantaneously on Mars uh, and all you have to do is build into your penalty, build into the penalty transactions and the time delays. You just build additional delay for the round trip time. Currently, some of those are 24 or 48 hours. You just add 40 minutes to that. Done. Yeah. And you can use Lightning Network fully featured uh, on Mars. So would this be like a 
a Mars lightning network, it would be the same lightning network. It'd you be would, the same you lightning would, network as on, on Earth. You would want to, to partition the networks because you don't want any hops going between the planets because the delay is just huge. Um, and there's a lot of back and forth in the protocol. A lot of back and forth. So some of these links will just take forever to negotiate. Uh, so you could partition the networks, um, which would make which would make sense and be fine. It could work. You just need you just need to be okay with huge delays. Yeah. Um, and that's you know that'd be cool. Like you rebalance and and this is what businesses could do potentially is just rebalance channels with their terrestrial counterparts because they have the patience to wait to do these rebalancings. But everyone else just wants to transact locally, basically. And uh, with routing, I don't know exactly how Lightning finds routes for payment, but I think if one if one leg of that route is going to hop to Earth, you're going to complete the route with local nodes, you know, a bajillion times faster than the other one's going to reply to you from Earth. And yeah. so it'll just abort that connection, or abort that abort that routing attempt once you find a payment and make it. Um, so it'll probably handle itself. Uh, what else? Do we need relays between Earth and Mars? Like, do we need something in between to, to propagate that signal, or is it? You do need you in the case that Earth and Mars are on opposite sides of the Sun. You need some sort of satellite uh, that can relay stuff around the Sun, basically. So you'd probably stick that at the uh, L4 and L5 Lagrangian points. Um, now, I don't, I haven't, I haven't thought it all the way through. I don't know if you should go for a local Martian currency um, backed by Bitcoin or another chain or not. If you go that route, though, then you will need orbital arbitrage uh, stations. So you, you're, you're trading you're trading Martian, you know, Mars coin versus Earth coin. You heard it here first. Clark is pumping his Mars coin bags. <laughs> Pump my bags. <laughs> uh, you, Ar- Arthur. When when can we get Mars coin on Bitmix? <laughs> when Mars coin? Uh, but you would, you would need arbitrage trading venues on orbit so you can have data from both sides first uh, before the the signal propagates all the way through. This is way out there. Yeah, 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 yeah. Light, light years of it. No, um, light years away. Uh, what else? Uh, there's so th- this is this is my first kind of thinking about the interplanetary frontier. You know, setting this whole thing up. Uh, I, I I plan to release three or four more articles. One about interplanetary trade and the role that Bitcoin would play. Uh, one about mining only and I need to do a lot more research into mining itself uh, to find, figure out all the economics involved um, one about interplanetary war uh, because you know talking about that calm stuff like you need to you know you need to ensure that your communications can't be blocked off or blockaded uh, from earth because if the blockchain is on earth and not on Mars well then earth could shut down those those communication channels so Mars could do no commerce at all uh, other than lightning space fork space fork space wars <laughs> space fork wars um, 
And then the other one, uh, the last one would be on interstellar trade or interstellar frontier. So like some group of humans is getting on a colony ship to go to the stars. How do they take the blockchain with them? How do you reconcile the blockchain after a hundred thousand years when they return? Uh, you know, that sort of thing. Wow. So, uh, I don't know. <laughs> would so like if say you're on Mars, would you need different? Um, I don't know the value. Would would it be different than the value on Earth? I mean, I guess it's all subjective, right? Like the, free market, the market decides what the value is. Like I'm just thinking like you have a different set of goods available and, and resources available on Mars than you do on Earth. So so. Uh, you know the price, I guess, in Bitcoin of a good on Mars might be would probably be different than Earth. But I guess, truthfully, yeah, like it would be different in in different areas of the Earth as well already. So yeah, I just answered my own question. Thank you for standing here while I did that. <laughs> well, the 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 purchasing power would be different, and you're right. The mix of goods and services would be completely different, and price completely different. You know. So, like, a bottle of water would probably be a lot more money on Mars. Um, the other thing about, you know, you colonists thinking about going to Mars with Elon, uh, it could be like camping for a long time. It could be dirty. Yeah. It could be nasty. So, you know, just keep that in mind. Like, it's not, like... <clears throat> glamorous. It's not glamorous. I mean, you're stuck in, like, a tin can. And that's all you've got. You can't go home and shower, you know. It's all you've got. So it could be very, very, very hard for humanity to get off of this rock. Yeah. Uh, Watching clips from the space station makes me claustrophobic. Yeah. Like just stuck in a metal tube that separates you from total oblivion. It yeah. freaks me out. Um, oh, man, there's something else I was going to ask you. Oh, um, right now, like travel into space is very highly regulated. You know, we've got we've got SpaceX, which is a private company, arguably based on their government funding, but it's still like their launches and stuff are still very controlled by NASA. Do you see FAA? Oh yeah, 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 FAA. But they, I mean, they yeah. So then they use the government launch pads essentially, right? So, um, is there a future where some country maybe who gets on a Bitcoin? standard you know then allows a lot more freedom to to launch into space i know there i know there are like more optimal places on the earth to launch from to get into orbit but and, and sure that probably plays into it but well yeah i think that the best thing to do would be to have a giant equatorial barge and you float your rocket out to the equator and launch from the ocean um uh, I don't think the FAA has anything to say what you do in the middle of the Pacific. Um, and some of their country could certainly set that up. A U.S. company could also set that up, too. Uh, the issue I see with other nations doing this is there's only a handful of nations with enough um, uh, technical know-how, structure of production built up to even support a spacefaring industry. So... It would be it would be one of the you know EU India China Japan <clears throat> Russia you know <clears throat> maybe South Korea it'd be it'd be one of those guys 
uh, would be the main competitor. It's it's unlikely that this sort of <clears throat> startup happens from some you know out of the blue. Antigua. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, Saint Kitts. Right. Right. Yeah. So sorry if you sorry if you're a spacefaring you know you got space capabilities and I forgot to list you there, but uh, there's not that many. Right. Um, and actually, it would be a huge. I mean, <clears throat> I'm sure the FAA would love. It's Canada. I know. I know they send Canada. Canada's a participant. I don't. I don't think so. I don't okay. think so. They were a participant with the U.S. Usually. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, equatorial barge. You know, we've been talking about that forever. I mean, because equator is the best place to launch uh, for <clears throat> geosynchronous orbits, for sure, and other other sorts of orbits. Um, it's actually crazy. Like. Russia is at a very high. Their launch, uh, their launch facilities are very high latitude, um, and so if they want to launch something to equatorial orbit, they have to do a giant plane change maneuver, which costs a lot of fuel. But the orbit they're on actually places, you know, when you put stuff in that orbit, it actually makes it really, really nice for spying on Washington, <laughs> uh, especially the way the orbital precession works out. Um, you can keep you can keep a satellite that goes over Washington every twelve hours, basically indefinitely. When you launch from the ad- the latitude of Russia, if we launch from Florida, we have to plane change into something that'll go over Moscow every twelve hours. So, you know, there, once you learn a little bit about orbital mechanics, you realize that like orbital orbit design is this very very rich kind of field, and there's lots of nuance there. But you can do really really cool stuff with it. I'll put I'll put a link in the show notes to two resources. There's a video uh, from the Smarter Everyday YouTube channel, and then Seven Eves is a really good book. Uh, it's fiction, but it's really good, and it, it talks a lot about there's a, there's a lot of hard like orbital mechanics science in it. And yeah, that was good. Yep. All right, we are we are getting close. You're gonna have to go um, pretty soon. So, um, any any parting words? To the moon. To the moon. Literally. Literally to the moon. Literally to the moon. Uh, hang in there. Um, if you didn't get wrecked in Mt. Gox or any of the other scam exchanges or wrecked on altcoins or whatever, if you're still if you're still surviving this thing, just hold on, keep going. Don't get discouraged by the FUD. Boost your intellectual fortitude, your emotional fortitude, and. Uh, Let's see this thing through. We haven't we have, we haven't seen the major major state attack, but you know it's probably coming. Just get ready. Yeah. All right. Twitter at Clark Moody. Bitcoin.clarkmoody.com. And uh, what else? That's it. All right. Thanks. It's been fun. Thank you. All right. That's going to do it for our show today. I hope you guys had fun listening to that. Um, as we looked back on the last 10 years of Bitcoin and kind of speculated about the future possibilities. I had a lot of fun recording in person. I would love to do that more often. If that's something you guys would like to hear more of on this show, I'm going to go ahead and encourage you to go check out my TallyCoin page. Um, It would be a lot more feasible for me to do in-person recordings if I had the right equipment. So um, if you check out tallycoin t-a-l-l-y-c-o dot i-n slash 
bottom shelf BTC, just like my Twitter handle. Um, there's a place on there where you can donate towards that, towards uh, better recording equipment. I'm saving up for it, but um, yeah, you can feel free to help that process along because um, that's something I want to get more into is being able to do more of these in-person recordings. It's just the, the dynamic of the conversation is different and it's a lot of fun. So um, feel free to help me out there. I know you guys have heard me talk about my patch site, bitcoinmeritbadge.com, um, where you can kind of get some fun commemorative patches and just cool ways to show off your skills and um, your love of Bitcoin. But what you might not know about is Patchion, our manufacturer. They do a lot of great work. Um, obviously, that's that's who I use for to um, produce these uh, patches. Um, they do all kinds of cool custom embroidered designs. You can There's several different edges you can get. There's uh, a number of different backings you can get for these patches. It's kind of whatever you can dream up, they can probably do. Um, and they'll work with you to make sure that your colors and the size of your patch and everything is legible and will look good. So I uh, highly recommend checking them out at embroidered-patches.uk. That's embroidered-patches.uk. Um, great guys and girls over there at Patchion that will help you get that special custom patch for um, your event or your airsoft team or you know you and your friends or whatever you want. Um, yeah, so check them out. And um, I haven't really talked about it much on the show, but um, if you've been paying attention to this proof of keys thing that's going around that Trace Mayer kind of brought up, um, the idea is basically to, on the third every year of January, you if you have any Bitcoin on an exchange, you pull it off into a wallet that you control. Essentially, the idea is to make the exchanges prove that they have the keys, prove that they're not fractionally reserving Bitcoin. And so I highly encourage you guys to, if you have anything on an exchange, whether that's Coinbase or Gemini or Cash App or whatever you're using, um, spin up an Electrum wallet and, or Samurai or um, whatever else you use, and or just Bitcoin Core wallet. And, and transfer that over. Make them prove. And then if you want to have it back on there, put it back on there on the 4th. I don't care. You do what you want to do. That's not what I recommend, but um, if that's really where you want to keep it. But the whole point is just to make them prove that they actually have the Bitcoin. So, um, proof of keys, January 3rd. That should be today if you're listening on the day that this comes out. And, um, and lastly, you know, follow me on Twitter or um, share the episodes of the show with anybody you know. If you have recommendations or requests, hit me up. Like I said, on Twitter, bottom shelf BTC. My DMs are always open. And uh, I guess that's it for this week. For Bottom Shelf Bitcoin, I'm Josh Humphrey. Thanks for listening. <laughs>